Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. Richard Ryerson here on this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Today we have Julie Huber on the show. She is the Executive Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Equity Bank. She joined Equity Bank in January 2003 and she currently oversees mergers and acquisition integration and major projects for the $4 billion bank. She began her banking career with People's Bank and Trust in McPherson, Kansas, and soon supervised retail operations, compliance, training, and security functions for the Sunflower Bank for over eight years. She's been a member of Equity Bank's senior leadership team since the inception of the bank in 2003, serving in various roles in human resources, retail, finance, training, and compliance, as well as a chief risk officer. And for the last two years, she's been in the role of the Executive Vice President of Strategic Initiatives. You'll find that this conversation, I love sitting down and talking with Julie. Again, she gets leadership. Leadership has been at her forefront intentionally throughout most of her career. And you'll find that a lot of the themes that we talk about here on the show, the passion for what you're doing, the ability to be insatiably curious the intentionality behind leadership, the humble, teachable spirit, all those things we touch upon with Julie. And I really think you'll enjoy this conversation. Again, this show is brought to you by Equity Bank. Equity Bank is a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. It's a privilege and honor to have them sponsoring this show. They're now listed on the NASDAQ exchange and has locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. Clearly, the team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth, and if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, I encourage you to check out my friends and work with the bank at Equity Bank. Check them out at equitybank.com. Thanks for listening. Now, let's join our conversation with Julie Huber, the Executive Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Equity Bank here on Dose of Leadership. Julie, what an honor to meet you. Thanks for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. You know, one thing that uh, I think you and I share in common, I was reading some of your background, that one of your favorite books was Good to Great, which was is mine. In fact, when I read that, um, I could say that was the catalyst. I got out of the Marine Corps. I was in the corporate arena, and I was trying to articulate some of these frustrations I was having from what I've seen. And I picked up Good to Great, and it crystallized so many things. Why was that book one of your favorites? You know, uh, I was introduced to Good to Great when we started the bank, when we started Equity Bank. And so that's really the founding principles that our bank has been set on along the way. And it's been required reading for a lot of people when they've come in. So, you know, we really use those principles along the way. Um, We bring them up all the time. There's some really great foundational principles in there for businesses. Um, And we were just having a conversation this week about how that seems to be coming back into favor again, that book, that there's a lot of colleges that are now having that required reading again for their their, uh, students. As they're going through entrepreneurship. I love that book. I There's that chapter on level five leadership. In fact, when I started a new engagement with a, a coaching client, a one-on-one, I have them read that chapter. And uh, it because what I found great about that book is Jim Collins wasn't even – it was kind of by accident 
mm-hmm. you found that, found th- that. Th- those 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 concepts of this level of five leadership where you've got someone who's got this intensity of will coupled with this humble teachable spirit and where that intersects that's the level five leadership. And so it's less about charisma. Some of these level five leaders are quirky. They're kind of, you know, introverted and it's not the kind of mind, you know, that really right. rung true to me. So Right. And it's really the marrying of those two concepts that yeah. make those leaders so great and powerful in their, in their position that they're in. And the intentionality behind it, right? Uh-huh. Like it takes an intentional um, me- melding of those two concepts, right? Day in and day it out. It does. You have to be on it every single day because it's so easy to slip on one side or the other. You have to make an intentional decision every day that that's what you're going to do. Yeah. I'm going to, I need to re- reread it again. I haven't, I need to, I haven't revisited it in its entirety for quite a while. And after talking to you, I'm thinking, I'm going to re- revisit this again. That's cool that, that they're letting, having, bringing it back to schools. Where did you see that at? Um, we have some uh, executives in our company that there's, there's, kids that are in college have been talking about this is a required reading form or they have friends that, you know, their professors are making it required reading form again. So they're going through business classes. I, I, Jim Collins, I've been trying to get him on the show forever. He's hard, but he's kind of a, he's kind of a data guy. You know, he's a real numbers data driven guy. And so I'm wondering what the conversation would be like, but you can see it in his book because there are some parts of the book that I'm like, Oh my God, there's, there's so much data. It almost, yeah, it's almost overwhelming, overwhelming in the book. You kind of have to pick your way through that and come to the conclusion on it. But yeah, yeah I, and I think that's what I like about Colin so much is, is I'm kind of a data person too. And right. I like to look at those data points and follow those through and come to a conclusion at the end. And he's been able to successfully do that in his books. Well, that was my question about how you got started in banking. Was it, was it because of your fascination with numbers? I mean, why did you get involved with, I mean, almost right out of college, you're with the bank. Yeah, I started uh, in banking. I graduated on a Sunday and started in banking on a Monday. So um, actually, I started college thinking I was going to be an attorney. Mm. So I started with an English and a history major. And um, after about a year of it, I enjoyed it. But I I knew that wasn't where my passion was at all. So I kind of rethought through what, you know, what I wanted to do in life. And I dropped the English major and, and took on a business major after that. And, you know, I really, I, I'm a numbers person. So I really like the numbers and the statistics and um, data points, everything like that. And that was a really good fit into banking for me. How did you know that that was your passion early on? It's interesting because I think a lot of us, even as we enter and I just turned 50 and I still find my peers and friends and we're still struggling. Well, what is our, what is our true passion? You know, I think a lot of times we the vast majority of us are going on autopilot, you know, because, well, I need to be an attorney because that's what where the money is and that's what's going right. to get me the respect and everything else. Right. And You know, I don't know if I, I originally knew in college that banking was going to be my direction. I knew I wanted to be in some type of a finance business type of background. Um, so when I graduated from college, uh, we were newly married. My husband and I were newly married. He still was in school. And so I started looking for local jobs that I could take that I could be employed while he finished out school. And a local bank gave me a job. And um, it was a it was a blessing in disguise. I started in as a drive through teller. It was an entry-level position. But I knew when I got into that bank, if I could get my foot in the door, I would learn everything I could about that company. And so I worked with them for two years. 
Um, and, you know, they really gave me the foundation I needed. And as I worked in different departments in that bank, I knew this is where I wanted to be. I loved helping people. You know, banks are the cornerstone of all the communities that we're in. You know, they're the ones that are providing the financing for small right. businesses and getting people that so people can pursue their passion. There's a bank behind that that's helping them do that and helping them get their first home. And, you know, I just really love the, the combination of those two things together. That's interesting. I've never heard anybody say that, but it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, I, I know uh, when I got laid off, uh, I, out of the Marine Corps and laid off from American, I struggled finding you know, where I fit. And my kind of immature view of it was I was trying to find that position and title. And I realized I was so married to this idea of being a pilot and wanting you to know that I was a pilot. Because it's easy, right? And it's easy to feel proud about that. Right. And it sounds good. It sounds good. Yeah. But you said something there that I found, which I think is at the key to it. You said, I really like helping people. And you're right. And it's like, it's banking. And you think, oh, banking. It's just numbers, finance. But it's more than that, right? It's the foundation to, to to so many people's dreams, to their to their livelihoods, to these businesses, and it goes back to the core, which I think is everybody's obligation. We're here to make right. the the place better than we found it, right? And and that's that's what you tapped into when you were in this. That's right. what you were seeing. Right? And it's easy to think that you know banking is this stodgy, right. You know, uptight professional that comes in and you know, makes these decisions all day long. And and really, banking is all about relationships. Right. It's You have a relationship with every single person that walks in the door or every person you talk to on the phone. And that's how you become successful in banking is developing those relationships. And you partner with that customer over time, you know, to help them fulfill their dreams. And that's really what banking is all about. It is so true. It's like think of all the times where, where things are on the line, like major life events that we consider dreams of owning a home, of starting our own business, everything. Those are big major life events they with are. major dreams and, and banking's at the heart of it. And if you're right, if you can tap into that relationship side, right? Like I understand where you're coming from. And you hear about those stories of, of people who stayed with banks for years. I've talked with a couple of banks and they, they just got these amazing stories where generation after generation of families have stayed with the same because yeah. they had those relationships. You know. And we hear it all the time. We started this bank in 2003, and we hear a lot from customers today that say, you were the ones that took a chance on me back in 2003 when I was starting my business. I'm staying with you forever because you have helped me grow my business. You've given me financial advice. You know, you've given me direction along the way. And and you've been a great partner for me, a great financial partner for me. And, and we're going to continue this relationship with you. I love that. You said something, too, that I found interesting that I think is probably, if I had to guess, was a a, a large contributor to um, your success in this field is is out of the gates that I found that there's so much to learn in here, right? You you seem like someone who's a a learner, a constant learner. You've got insatiable curiosity. Is that a fair statement? That is a very fair statement. (laughs) I have been that way since I was very young. So I've always been a learner. I've always looked at things that Um, You know, I've seen something from afar and said, wow, that's kind of cool over there. I'd like to know more about that. Mm -hmm. And I bet I can do that. And so I'm a big reader. I read tons of books all the time. Um, I'm always digging into things. I, um, you know, if terms come up that I don't understand, I will Google them and look them up and and make sure I understand the concept. And that's just part of who I am. It's how I've always been. Yeah, I I love that. I can totally relate to that. I, I asked this 
so many times on this show, I was like, is that something you think we can teach people? Because I always wonder, you know, and I look at my kids and I'm like, I just remember when I was a kid and I was just in my room and I was, I would thumb through an encyclopedia, you know, and I would like, I would say, how does this work? I think sometimes that gets stifled by external forces, peer pressure, everything, society, pop culture, whatever. But how do you, how do you teach that in somebody or can it be taught? Wow. I think some of it is just your internal desire to do it. And so it has to be something that you're passionate about. So I, I think some of that's tapping into your passion and, and what your interests are in. And once you find that, um, you know, it's it's a lot of tenacity along the way of just being able to better yourself. And, and so I don't know if that's a taught thing or if it's something that people are just th- – th- it's a – thing they're born with. But. Yeah. And there, there's no way. I, mean, I don't yeah. even know the answer to it. Yeah. But I always, it's just, it fascinates me because I do think that is when we look at um, whatever you mark as success. I even hate using the word success because it's so arbitrary, but I like to use significance. Like if you want to lead a life of significance, if I asked you what a significant life is, I think you and I would probably be similar in what we think a significant life is. Okay. And most people are because they want to positive impact with their family, you know, this and that. And I think, you know, part of being a, a, having a significant life is also understanding the world around you. Yeah. You know, the world is so much bigger than just you or I or oh, yeah. any other individual out there and being able to understand how the world works and all that, how everything interconnects with each other and how other people are like. And I think that's a huge foundation of living a, of living a significant life. Agreed, right? It's that emotional quotient piece and exercising that muscle, that emotional intelligence piece, which I do think is intentional. Like you can intentionally do things. And like I said, you know, expanding your horizons. Don't be so close. Well, try to understand. Like this person thinks I'm a jerk. Well, instead of, you know, puffing up my chest and proving why I'm not a jerk, try to understand why. Well, I can see how they think. I Right. You right. know what I mean? Right. And we teach a a leadership principle in our company. We have a leadership development program that we do with leaders in our company. And one of the principles we teach in there is an alignment with people. Mm -hmm. So we have, as people come into this class, we have them rank four or five different people that they work with on a daily basis. And they have to rank them from a one to 10. And 10 is we are perfectly aligned. We see eye to eye. We can finish each other's sentences. We are all on the same page. And one is I really can't stand to be in the same room as this person we don't get along. We don't. We we don't connect at all. And then their assignment is take the person that's a one and figure out how to move them up on I your scale. That. And this is all about you. This isn't about the other side. You have to figure out how to make that connection with that person and and break down those barriers. And that is all about leadership is is developing that connection with that other person. I love that. Actually, that that is. Fascinating. And does the other person like if so if, if you were a one in my list, mm-hmm. would you know that I saw you as a one? No. So it's a very intentional side of the person who is making the list of the person down the hall that I deal with that we don't get along very well. I'm going to be intentional every single day to try to figure out how to build it, how to break down this barrier with them. And we're going to move this relationship up. And it's amazing how successful that is with people over time. I love that. I think that's that's great. I mean, have you seen some positive results? I'm yes. assuming. That we, is... we see dramatic results from people. And and a lot of people come into that kind of kicking and screaming like, but I don't like this person <laughs> right. and I don't want to do this. And it's a waste of my time. And we always say six weeks, give it six weeks and really try to get to know this person on the other side. And you're going to figure out why they react the way that they react and why do they treat you the way that they treat you or the way that you perceive that they treat you. And let's just have a conversation and let's communicate and let's break this down. 
Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. That's great. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think it's, and again, that's exercising that emotional quotient muscle. It is. And and I think the cornerstone to a great culture, a great organization, to be in a a pretty decent leader, you have, that's a requirement. It is. You have to have that level of emotional intelligence to be an effective leader and and to be an effective organization that understands leadership. That's great. It's kind of, I've, in the past, you know, I've talked and, taught about, well, how do you deal with uh, a supervisor, a boss, or even a CEO that doesn't seem to get it, that you're like oil and water? And in the past, um, I was the guy that would be around the water cooler complaining about, well, if he or she was just X, Y, Z, then things would, right? And And I I think we've all done that. We've all done that. And it feels good and it's kind of fun, right? And it kind of takes some of the burden off of us. But going back to your exercise, that, to me, that's not a valid option. When you find yourself in that situation, I think it's more of, uh, I got a couple options, really. And one is I can go somewhere else, which is a valid option. Or two, if I like the organization, I want to dive in and invest, then I'm going to do what you just said in those exercises. I'm going to find a way. And it's up to me to figure out how to do that. It's your choice, right? Yeah. And And, and I think that's what makes people successful and powerful leaders is being able to own that and figure that out and make a difference in that way. Absolutely. No, I love that. When did you start becoming intentional about your leadership journey? I know that all of us kind of going through and we're thinking if I do X, Y, and Z and I check off these boxes, and then at some point there's always a, oh, wait, I got to start figuring out, you know, yeah. this leadership thing. Um, leadership is a journey, as you just said, along the way. It's not something that I think people know from right away. Right. You've got to have those failures along the way yeah. to understand what works and what doesn't work. And so I was pretty young in my banking career when I was given and put into a leadership role. And it was really kind of a sink or swim deal. I actually um, was promoted to a supervisor at the second bank that I worked at. And I walked in thinking that everybody was going to, you know, applaud. I walked in the new manager walking in the door and come to find out nobody knew I was coming. They had forgot to tell them that their new boss was walking in the door. And yeah, Yeah. so I had to um, find my own desk and I had to find my own supplies and everybody was instantly, 
you know, taken aback by somebody new coming in. And I was pretty young at the time. And so, um, you know, it was really trying to figure out those relationships along the way and, and overcoming a huge hurdle that got put in front of me from the very beginning. And it took time to do that. But along the way, you, you think, you know, you watch people and you're like, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to lead. I'm supposed to be harsh and, you know, come down on people and get all mean with them. And then you find out that doesn't work really well. That gives you some pretty short term results. <laughs> yeah. But long term, that is not sustainable at all. And that's yeah. that lead by fear thing. And, and there's a lot of people that lead by fear. It's not effective mm-hmm. at all. So you, you learn along the way that, oh, if I lead by gaining respect from people. I have to earn it. It doesn't happen immediately. You have to earn people's respect and that you have to earn their trust. And then over that time, that's a much more effective way to lead and it's much more sustainable over time. And so, you know, I've done this for um, 27 years now and I'm still figuring stuff out along the way. Well, well said. And you're right. It never ends and trying to figure out. You're right. We all do that. We think, oh, well, this is how I'm supposed to be. And we do that. And we're using our positional authority, which gets you, you know, only so far. Only so far. And, you know, but, and that's why leadership is so hard, I think, because it takes that intentional investment of gaining that respect. And I think where a lot of times where people even make the mistake there, where they start going down that path, they think it's about getting people to like you and be their friend. And no, there's a and big that doesn't difference. Work that doesn't work either. No. And it's the respect thing. And it's like, you know, keeping a certain kind of distance. And, but, knowing them, you know, who their their kids are and what their spouse's name is. And, and it's but, building a relationship. And relationship, right? But yeah. not getting too close. Right. This is that, right? Right. And it's just, yeah. And it's funny how you take those leadership principles. So I have two children. One's 21 and one's 17. So, you know, we've kind of gone through the all the tumultuous years with both of them. But, you know, you, t- you start taking those leadership principles with your kids. Yep. And, and so you start talking about, I can't be your friend because that's not a good leader role here. I'm here to lead you through this life. And, mm-hmm. you know, but there's times I have to, you know, be direct and blunt with you and kind of correct your action. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it marries itself so well between those two different roles that you play in your life. How do you, what do you think about, how do you feel when I say that leaders, I think the primary currencies are authenticity and vulnerability? What, how does that make you feel? Those are great words. So I, I, I love authenticity. I think that is a fantastic description right there because mm-hmm. if you're not authentic with those around you, then you don't earn that respect. They see through that right away. So that authenticity is so important along the way. And, you know, vulnerability is great because nobody's perfect. And you have to be able to show that to people and you have to be able to own that, that, you know, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, I'm going to correct that. Let's talk through it. And, and just being able to be open with people about that, that's a scary place to be sometimes. Oh, it's, it's tremendously scary. But it's right? so important in that leadership ability. I agree with you. And I, that's why I think it's the primary currencies. And, and, and I think it's probably the two biggest assets or arrows in your quiver that can help along that trust journey that you were talking about. There, yes. Right? It doesn't mean, so. you know, I think a lot of times, and I've made this mistake, being vulnerable doesn't mean I necessarily share all everything that I'm, I think there's a, there is a bit of acting and compartmentalization that's required for leadership. Absolutely. Right. Yes. And so there, you know, there's a lot of times, there's a lot of thoughts that can go through your head, <laughs> right. but like you said, you have to compartmentalize those and you have to, 
you know, express the ideas that need to be expressed. But some of those things you just need to work through on your own. And not everything needs to be shared right. with everybody. And, and that doesn't mean you're being inauthentic, right? That's correct. And yes. I think that's where some I've had some people mistake that. Well, being authentic and vulnerable means I'm sharing every single thought. That's not necessarily a good thing, right? No, it's not a good thing. Yeah. And, and I think that's the maturity of being able to recognize what needs to be shared and what needs to just be retained. And so that it's learned over time yeah. you know, as you go through this. I think we're, I do think authenticity comes in if you don't know the answer to something that you just with confidence, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But and we'll, it's okay to say that. That's right. But we'll figure it out together. Yeah. Like I know that I know I got a team here that we'll figure a way. Yep. It's suspending the belief. I think that's the key is like suspending the uh, uh, role of a leader is to suspend the belief on how things are going to get done. You just know they're going to get done. Right. Right. And, and, you know, there's a lot of situations I've been in where we look at a, what we think is an impossible task in front of us and everybody is, you know, grinding and, you know, talking about how are, how are we going to get this done? I have all these other projects on my plate and now you're asking me to do this. And, and being a true leader is really sitting down and saying, OK, we're going to get through it together. We can get this done. Let's break this down into manageable steps. And then pretty soon you get halfway done and they're like, oh, yeah. We, we can do this. This is no problem. That's right. And you, sometimes you may even cross the line and you didn't even – because you were doing all that and you realize, oh, well, we accomplished what we set Absolutely. up to do. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Hey, it what do you know? It becomes an event almost yep. sometimes. How do you stay composed? You seem like someone who's, who's very intentional about being composed, which I think is another – important, necessary trait of leadership. It is. And that's something that gets learned over time, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, as you go through your journey and you come into situations where you react and a, a lot of times it's a negative reaction and you can see how that just waterfalls down onto, onto those people mm-hmm. around you. And it's a negative thing that you now have to overcome and come back. And so it's a big maturity level of recognizing, yes, we've got an issue. Yes, there's something we need to deal with. But Let's just take this step by step and keep everything composed. I think that's a great word. Mm-hmm. And um, and as we go through this journey, we're just going to do it together. There's no reason for us to get emotional or, mm-hmm. or you know, angry or anything like that. It is what it is. And I think that's just a maturity level that people achieve after a while. Yeah, and it's an intentional thing too, it is. right? And it is. we've all seen it. We've all done it. We've all lost our bearing. We've all more often than we'd like to admit, and, and certainly with kids and with and at work, I know, and you've seen it around you too. And the thing that I hate about losing the bearing, and I try to remind myself and tell people is like when you lose your bearing all of a sudden that whole situation no matter what's going it all of a sudden becomes about you it does it does and and the focus is off of everybody else it all comes back to you and I I have great conversations with myself in my head (laughs) and you know we go through option a and option b and kind of and it's all you know silent in my head and and I've got to do that at times to kind of work through issues until I come to a conclusion and then once I get to that point then that's time to verbalize it and, uh, you know, talk through all the different options with everybody. But that's an internal conflict that I have to have with myself and right. just work through all the situations. And that happens all the time. Yeah. And I think it's important to realize, too, that this compartmentalization can build up over time. you got to find outlets. What do you do? How do you, how do you, get, how do you relieve those, those compartmentalization, you know? You know, you have to do – I always have to find some time with myself where Mm -hmm. there's no distraction because I have to be able to have clear thoughts in my head. And so that's hard to do when, you know, people are in your office or, you know, your kids are asking for something. So I need to have some time to myself. 
Um, I take long walks around my neighborhood. I put my earphones in or my headphones in. And, you know, it's just I, I, I'm the type of person I have to be able to have long, complete thoughts in order to work through an issue. And so the only way I can do that is just to be by myself for a little while. And, yeah. and, and that seems to work really well. Well, I think the key there is, right, you got to take time. Every leader that I've talked to that have that has been successful that I, that I want to emulate, they do that. They have to take that time for themselves. Yeah, and it's hard to do. Oh, it's very it's hard. It's hard to carve that out, but you have to do it. You have to be intentional. Yes. And I don't care if it's 15 minutes in the morning where you don't pick up the iPhone, you don't right. check your, your email, you do something for yourself. Yeah. And that's really, you know, I carve a couple of hours out every morning nice. where I get up early and everybody else is still asleep. And I go take a long walk. You know, I work in the kitchen. I get some things put together for the day. But that's my time that I spend on myself where I can kind of get grounded for the day going forward. Yeah. It it sounds silly, but I always ask people that. And it's amazing how pe- you don't have those personal habits. And when I started doing that, I noticed a marked yes. difference in so many other things. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It makes a huge difference when you're able to do that. You said you were going to major... Initially, was it history and something else? English. English. So are you a, are you a history nut, a buff? Do you like history? I am. I ended up with my history degree. I, so I ended up with two degrees. I ended up with a business degree, business management degree, and I also kept my history degree because I just loved history. So, How has history or the, the, the passion of studying history helped you in your journey, in your leadership, in your, your growth journey? Um, well, in the banking career, there's a lot of history in banking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we go into a new recession or a new economic crisis, there's a lot of lessons to be learned mm-hmm. on how everybody has dealt with that in the past. So it, it's always important to read that stuff and understand it and, you know, under, get to know the underlying cause of what happened. And so history is such a great thing for us to, you know, on our journey along the way to be able to understand where we need to go in the future. Agreed, right? Yes. Any historical figures that you always find yourself gravitating towards? That is a great question. Um, there's so many. There's so many. Um, you know, I don't know. There's so many good ones along the way that, you know, I, I gravitate towards. I really like historical figures that maybe were faced with an impossible mm-hmm. issue and were able to dig down and kind of get that solved along the way. And there's so many along the way, whether it's medicine or, you know, economics or, you know, they've got into a war of some type and they've been against, you know, huge odds and they've been able to figure out how to win the battle along the way. And those are the ones I really like to gravitate towards. I really like um, historical autobi- or historical biographies. Mm-hmm. And so I love to read that history of, you know, from their perspective of how they were able to yeah. face an issue and overcome that along the way. And it's interesting, too, when you do the, look at the biographies anyway, just how flawed. And that's what gives, it gives me comfort. I don't know. It's, I find it weird because the more that you dig into these historical figures that have accomplished really were there at the right time and the right moment in history for whatever it is, and you look at the flaws that they had or the the kind of really rough life or upbringing, whatever, right? And, and Everybody's flawed. Everybody. Everybody right? has a story. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I think is the benefit of, of studying history. Is there a certain era that you tend to gravitate towards that you really like to learn about? You know, or? I really liked the period of time. What I really liked when I studied history was that period of about 1865, so right around the Civil War, mm-hmm. at the end of the Civil War, into about World War II. For some reason, that period of time really fascinates me, especially with like, you know, I look at these um, people who came to the land rush yeah. in Kansas and Oklahoma and what drove them to come do this yeah. and, and leave everything. Yeah. And, you know, 
settle on some ground in the middle of Kansas and then build their life around that. And, <laughs> yeah. and their, you know, their story over that time of being able to do that just fascinates me along the way. Yeah, it fascinates me. It's like how one of the requirements was, yeah, you can have this pot of land. Just make sure you got to have a, you know, a well on it by this time. I'm like, how do you even dig a well? Back yeah, then, right? back you know? in the, you know, the late 1800s, how do you do that? Right, and how are you shovel. successful at yeah. that? And you live 30 miles away from any other civilization. How do you survive uh, through that? Oh, we're so soft. Yeah, we are soft. <laughs> they were so so much tougher than we are right now. For yes. Sure. Well, what what is exciting to you about where you're at with Equity Bank now? What's what's you mean? I I I'm with you. I love the bank. The fact that they tend to gravitate towards the entrepreneur or understand the entrepreneur. That's my perception from an outsider looking in, anyway. And that's really what we've built that bank on is that entrepreneurial spirit. And mm-hmm. so it's real. And we really talk to our employees about taking on that entrepreneurial spirit, which really isn't so much about building a new business. It's more about finding an issue and being creative and finding a solution about that to carry everybody forward. That's really an entrepreneurial spirit. And so that's one of our core values we have that we really impress upon our employees is we want everybody to have that spirit within the company. Um, You know, looking forward, my new position, I'm in charge of strategic initiatives, which means um, I work on a lot of I, – I, I really work on fulfilling the bank's strategic plan, whether it's a merger or an acquisition or if it's a major project to help us move the company forward. And so I'm really integral on helping develop that strategic plan and then implementing those items going forward. And we've got a lot of great things on the horizon. You know, we're looking at the next phase of the bank, um, different opportunities that are existing out there. We're really looking at some digital banking strategies and how we can – make our company, uh, you know, better and give our delivery better for our customers out there that want to bank on a Sunday night while they're sitting on their couch. And, you know, we're looking at all those strategies and working on getting those implemented in. Well, it sounds fascinating. And again, I I love hearing about your journey and your philosophy and beliefs. It certainly ties into what we talk about here in Dose of Leadership. Um, I'm interested to see. I'd love to catch up with you in another 15 years and see how the, the, that would be great. the last 15, or next 15 years goes for you in a leadership journey. But I, I love your philosophy and the way you, the way you look at life and leadership. I think it's great. Thank you. Thanks for coming thank on the show. You. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure you, to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.